Hello there, and welcome to Dad Drunk Uncle. This is Steph, and I'm here by myself. I'm just kidding, I'm not crying. Um, so I decided to kick it old school and record by myself, like I did the first two episodes. So I actually I'm doing it because I had a pretty long script that I had written out, so I figured, you know, um, it would be more than a few moments. Because when I talk by myself, I don't tend to um, have as good a conversation as when I talk to other people, oddly enough, because like, I'm awesome to talk to. But just if you're wondering, I do still have, you know, I'm in my house, but I do still have my little vaporizer, so I should be okay. And I have my own Duncan. It's hot today. I got a hot Duncan. I mean, it's not hot outside. Jesus, God, I can't stop talking even when there's no one to talk to. Warning, the following podcast is full of terrible things. We will discuss violent crimes, murders, abuse, scary people, and a whole lot of suppositions, hypotheticals, editorializing, and so forth. There will be foul language and medical marijuana and inappropriate humor. If that is upsetting to you, I bid you a kind adieu. I totally understand because I find this all extremely upsetting too. I also feel like I had editorializing. I don't know what I said, but it was awesome. Stop with the papers around. And breathe out. Okay. So now I'm actually going to get to my script. My anxiety has been a real cunt bucket lately, but I had a therapy the other day and that always helps a lot. And I have a new favorite dispensary. Every dispensary I go to is usually my new favorite, but it was at Forest and Sandusky that I got Astral Destiny and Indica Dominant Strain from the brand Galenas. G-A-L-E-N-A-S. Astral Destiny. This is not an ad, by the way. This seriously is just like my weed of the week. Astral Destiny is a hybrid of unicorn poop and blue unicorn. <laughs> I point this out because I had a really bad tension headache all day. Then I went shopping. And later that night, shortly after partaking, I could just feel the muscles in my head and neck relax. And it was wonderful. I also got some of the strain called Sherbhead, and then I had some while wearing a Sherbert-colored hooded blanket, and that was hilarious. It really was, because I was a Sherbhead with Sherbhead. I feel so annoying when I'm not talking to somebody else. Okay. Now that we're done with Weed Corner. Oh, and I'm out of that Astral Destiny. Maybe they still have some. Anyway. For this week's episode, I decided to go over the other murders that have been considered to be possibly linked to the I-70 killer at one time or another, but are not officially connected by evidence in a way that I'm aware of. And look, I researched this stuff, but do not trust me to have the most accurate reporting. It's requiring large amounts of weeds to keep me calm enough to just be able to speak at at normal decibel levels, so I may get confused, and I apologize unreservedly for that. And as I was doing my research, I made sure to jot down 
where I was getting the articles from so that I could give you more um, detailed information as to where I got my information besides just the internet. <laughs> uh, but I was still um, looking up news clippings on newspapers.com. Um, again, they are not a sponsor. The only commercials in here are the commercials for Anchor and any other commercials that I do, I will certainly let you know. So these are the uh, sources that I used for information this week. The Tyler Courier from Tyler, Texas, 51994 and 52494 issues. St. Louis Post-Dispatch, uh, an article from November 21st of 93. Fort Worth Star-Telegram from May 27th, 94. Indianapolis Star from March 6th of 2013 and April 9th of 2000. The Daily Illinois, I think that's how you say it, uh, from May 30th of 2007. And a website that was called Tales of Coles County by Michael Clean, K-L-E-E-N. So we've talked about these murders briefly in previous episodes where I was trying to outline the crimes. I didn't realize at first, I don't think, that these murders weren't definitively linked to the same killer. But when I was first obsessively Googling, it seemed like the murders were linked in everything I was reading. And now as I'm obsessively Googling, I'm finding more nuance, which is fascinating to me. Studying the nuance, that is, not the murder part. Since I'm able to look up some news articles I couldn't access on regular Googling before, I'm seeing a bit of a clearer picture. I mean, look, it's a clearer picture through a cloud of weed, so I, you know... <laughs> It seemed weird to me at first that just because they were women working alone and shot that people might think that they were the same killer. It feels convenient, you know, but that's probably because it's pretty fucking weird that several women working alone in a small store were shot by random unrelated strangers. However, y'all know my theories go all the way to the top. And I think there were two or more killers doing this series of murder, so to speak. Um, that's only if I think my uncle was part of it. I think there's more than one. I think they were handing off and modifying and rebuilding guns. But if it's not the same person committing each murder, they'll probably not be able to prove any one person did any of them. It's like a dummy version of a, quote, perfect murder. The way I picture it is I see a bunch of drunk hillbilly assholes sitting around shooting guns and having pissing contests. And one of them is like, you know how you could commit the perfect murder, right? You know, in that obnoxious, mansplaining, patronizing tone. And then they all th throw out a bunch of stupid ideas. But they have enough white male privilege that they've been told how smart they are. And they always seem to get what they want. So they believe in themselves and their superior intellect. And then one of them goes... But what if there was more than one person who was a killer? And then they were all like, whoa, dude, you're so white and smart like me. And then two of them hatched a plan to be the smartest, whitest, malest losers because they couldn't figure out a way to do something good or useful with their lives because they were such dumb fucks. It never occurred to them to be the hero instead of the villain because villains are more powerful and all they want is power. But look, I put a couple scoops of powder in this latte as I'm typing and maybe I'm digressing too much. So it seems Robert Stack himself might be to blame for linking these other murders with the I-70 killer. I told you this goes all the way to the top. 
It has been suspected by, or excuse me, it had been suspected by an investigator at the Department of Public Safety's Intelligence Division that Amy Vess's murder in Arlington, Texas in 1993 was related to the I-70, I-35 killer based on the victim's description and killer's M.O., but that's just kind of as far as it went. Well, in May of 94, the Unsolved Mysteries episode featuring the I-70 killer was re-aired with an update including Amy Vess's murder and stating, by Robert Stack, the police are virtually sure it was the same man. Detective Jim Ford, who was on the Amy Vess murder case, was like, nope. He said authorities had not been contacted regarding the case before the broadcasting, and they had in fact already concluded that the 22 caliber rep weapon used in this murder was not the same as the one used in the previous six murders that we have discussed in previous episodes. On November 1st, 1993, between 6.15 and 6.22 p.m., the killer walked into Dancer's Closet, a dance apparel shop where Amy Vess worked. Amy was still alive when police arrived on the scene and was able to communicate by nodding her head to answer some questions. She was able to indicate that it was a male stranger who had shot her twice and robbed her. She did not survive. Amy was 22 and studying history at the University of Arlington. Her father bragged in an article that she worked 35 hours a week, took 19 credit hours, and had a 3.5 GPA. Amy had a boyfriend of three years who had purchased a ring for her and was planning to propose on Christmas. She was going to be an elementary school teacher. Mary Ann Michaels owned a discount clothing store next door to the dance store Amy worked in. She said she did see a man in the parking lot that day. She said she felt like he was watching her and she couldn't, quote, shake the feeling he was wearing a wig. She said she could see a white headband under the hairline. She also said he had masculine features and walked in a clumsy way. And that's the way those things were described in the article. So I wanted to leave that verbiage as close to the way that it was written so that I'm not taking, you know, any license with editorializing there because my ideas just seem to seep into everything. Okay, get back to the script stuff. There was also the murder of Marianne Glasscock, and she was 51 and murdered in her store Emporium Antiques in Fort Worth, Texas. This was on September 25th of 1993. And I am trying to include more details about the victims, um, because while we are trying to catch the killer, certainly, we want to remember and honor the victims and the victims' families. So I do apologize. I don't have that much information to share about Marianne Glasscock and um, her store, Emporium Ant Antiques. Um, if I can find some more articles, I'll put them in a later episode. But just please note that I just didn't find a lot more details in the articles I was able to access. On January 15th, 1994, Vicki Webb was working alone in her gift shop in Houston. She had a customer come in late that Saturday morning, and they spoke for quite a while, about 20 minutes, she estimated. She estimated this because she was alive after to do it. She said they talked about business patterns, and she got the feeling he may have been someone who was in retail business, too, although she said he didn't look like it, but, quote, you never know. 
She described him as about five foot eight and very thin, almost gaunt. Now I can tell you, I don't think my uncle was ever gaunt <clears throat> until he got into the real depths of his alcoholism at the very end and couldn't do anything but drink whiskey. So that makes me think, not him. But he was a retailer at one time. And with his work in HVAC with his own business, he would have worked on HVAC things in small businesses like those, which is something I was trying to say in a last episode, but I was a little stoned so it wasn't coming across quite how I wanted. <laughs> in the conversation that the killer had with Vicky, he said that he was meeting his niece and commented on how much she would like the store. He asked to see a copper frame, and Vicky came out from behind the, the counter to get it for him. She didn't see his gun. She just heard the pop. She didn't die because she has abnormally large vertebrae. Vicky was paralyzed by the shot and played dead, but her body was actually acting as if she was dead because she was paralyzed, but she was conscious. The killer went into a back room and took cash from the register. She thought he was gone, but he did return and dragged Vicky to the back of the store. She said she was thinking, God, I can't die now. I have a 13-year-old daughter. The killer then held the gun to her head and pulled the trigger. The gun misfired. The killer laughed. He fucking laughed and stepped over her and walked away. As I'm typing this, I can feel him doing it. Just like when he stepped over me on his kitchen floor as I was cleaning up his feces from all over the house and he stepped over me through his shit to pour his drink. I had read this stuff before, but this time is the first time I made the connection about why that was so extra upsetting to me until just now, I think. That was, I will never forget when I read that part of an article where he had said to Vicki Webb, talk, talking about his niece and saying that his niece was meeting him there, like involving his niece. And although I'm, I'm real sure that this one, at least this one in particular, was not my uncle, simply because of the um, survivor's description of him being so thin and gaunt. I just don't think he ever looked that way, except at the end of his life, which was just recently. So I really don't think that was him. But I will never forget the way that felt when I read his niece and my stomach just dropped out and it felt like he was bringing me in to his murders. Even though none of that is real, that's how my mind was kind of feeling. I don't know if I'm describing this right. It's Honestly, it's a little easier when you have someone else to talk to to kind of get feedback. But... Look, I'm great to talk to, so I'll just keep talking. <laughs> in December, or excuse me, I'm sorry, on December 31st, 1999, Amy Bloomberg was murdered in her family's dance apparel shop in O'Fallon, Illinois, just outside of St. Louis. There was reporting theorizing that maybe this murder was related to the I-70 killer. It certainly sounds familiar, you know, with a family dance apparel shop, a small store, a young woman working alone. However, in 2007, Edward Phillip was convicted of murdering Amy Bloomberg. From what I can understand, he admits to finding Amy dead in the dance shop when he went in to return something he bought for his daughter. Then he panicked and drove home, which was about 130 miles away, and at some point disposed of a pistol that was unregistered, 
on the way home. His wife also reported that he told her he had blood on his pants from moving a dead animal on the road on the night of the murder. But by the time of that statement, she was his ex-wife and there was a custody battle. But then again, that sounds like they got the right guy to me. Because even if you take that part of her seeing blood on his pants that night, he still puts himself at the crime and disposing of an unregistered weapon that they never did find. So... You know, I think they probably got the right guy, but of course you should never trust my judgment, or at least not right now. I don't think I can think properly these days. Now this next section I have asterisked because I, and I typed it out literally, I don't know where to put this, but I needed to kind of type this out and not so much just write in my journal because I really do a good job of processing this when I'm typing and then reading. It's I don't know why, but it works, so I guess I won't ask more questions. Anyway, <clears throat> this was what I therapized on myself. So not sure where to put this in, but I think I need to at one time. Oh, but I think I need to. At one time, uh, my uncle owned a small store. I was a little kid, so I only remember going in there once with my grandma. And they had one of those displays with the homemade gourmet lollipops. And I always thought they were so super fancy. I remember hinting that I wanted one. And parenthetically, I'm sure it was like real cash, like, oh, wow, I love lollipops and candy, and I wish I had one of these. And I don't remember what happened, but I don't think I got the sucker. I don't remember. And I don't remember whatever happened with the store. What I've been told is that people didn't like him owning the store because he wasn't from this little town next to us where the store was. And that sounds to me like probably... Uh, like how he explained things to himself and maybe not reality. Others didn't like him, so it ruined him. Probably didn't have anything to do with the fact that deep down he was a fucking monster and people probably picked up on that kind of energy. This is the part I need to work on most. I'm so afraid of becoming so disgusted with the world that I get so much hate and resentment that I still become like him. Like him in the way that he insulated himself from the world because he saw the world as so gross and so against him that his anger consumed him. I don't know what the fuck he thought he had to be angry about. It probably started with reasonable things. Who knows what happened to him in Vietnam? He made sure no one knew anything of substance about him. I'm sure that wasn't an accident. They grew up in the Catholic Church. Who knows what happened to him there? Again... No one. He made sure. <laughs> Look, he's not the victim, and I'm not saying he was at all. But I'm sitting here with all this resentment and anger and bitterness, and I don't want that to turn me into that horrible person. I'm very evidence-based, and I can't help but notice that no matter what side of nature versus nurture you land on, I'm there. I was raised with the same people around me, and I have the same genetics, obviously. I'm not worried about becoming a serial killer, but I'm worried about letting that anger get to me and making me stay miserable forever. I realized pretty quickly that I could end up like that, and I would need to keep that in mind to help push me forward. Wow, that was bigger than I thought it was going to be when I was writing it. It feels very good to say it. Thank you for listening. <laughs> So to that end, it's time for my favorite segment, probably because it's the only segment, but I like the clever name. So 
Welcome to Don't F with Staff. Maybe I'll try to put in some sound effects there. <laughs> Woohoo! So, this is where I bitch about things. It's different from the rest of the podcast in absolutely no way, except that it has a title that's different. <laughs> so, we had our roof replaced recently because, of course, we did. I'm telling you, when I say everything fell apart in my life, I mean it. So this dude who my IT guy hired turned out to be some dude I knew from a group of friends I used to hang out with when I was but a wee bebe. I don't know, probably like early 20s, mid 20s, early 20s. What I remember the most is the time he was mad at some girl, so he peed in her liquor bottle and let her drink it before we found out to stop him. He also pressed charges against some girl I used to be friends with for slapping him. Like, it's not okay for him to slap him, for her to slap him, but, like, if you could see these people, she was, like, five foot two, 110 pounds or some shit, real tiny, and he's, like, six feet tall and, like, does steroids or some shit. I mean, he looks like that. He probably doesn't, but you know what I'm saying? Like, there was no reason he was afraid of her. But then again, that's not for me to say. And we're back from that break that I didn't announce that we were having because I messed up and then I realized I didn't stop somewhere for a break, so I figured it'd be easiest to just do. So welcome back to Don't F With Steph. So I was bitching about this guy and how he's a dick and my IT guy hired him to do our roof. And he was a dick. He was a dick. Like, he's just one of these asshole dummies, you know? So I wasn't pleased when he went out or when I went out to meet him when he got there to talk about the job and I recognized him and he did, tried to pretend to not know me like that's weird. So I'm like, yeah, I know you, duh. And he starts talking about how much his life has changed. This wonderful family and shit. So immediately I know he's trying to scam us somehow. It's just a tactic I recognize when you see the person doing it. Wait, I didn't type this very well. When you see the person in person doing that, you can see the look on their face, like this kind of faraway starry-eyed look when they start talking about all the good Christian shit in their lives or how they found the Lord or some shit. You know that look uh, where they kind of look off, like they're trying to imagine that what they are saying sounds credible or something? So anywho... They do what I consider a shitty job, in my opinion, and frankly, an unsafe job with the way they dumped bricks off the roof of a two-story house that sits mere feet from the house next door and right next to the brand new AC thing outside. There were nails in the giant fan thing in the AC thing, and they said they, uh, they, said they were done, they would be back to drop off the bill, and they just never came back. This was several, I mean like six months ago. Like a week later, I'm sitting on my couch, la 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 la, and look next to me and there is a man on a ladder outside of my window. He, the, the uh, roof guy, had just sent over a dude to do something on our roof without telling us first. So I think, okay, I guess they're not really done. And then there were some things left behind. Not a ton of stuff. It was like a box with like nails and screws and small things like that and like a hammer but it's still their stuff 
So I start texting him after a couple months asking for an update. He gives me the old, I don't have any signal out here, which he sent via text. And I got immediately after I texted him. And I'm going out of town for the weekend, so I won't be able to get in touch with you. And then I just kept saying in text, please give me an update. And then he just ghosts me for a couple of weeks. So I finally text him and say, I'll have to get litigious if he's just going to keep ghosting me. Then he showed up at my fucking house. Not okay. My IT guy talked to him. I popped out to scream at him for a sec. And then we finally got our bill. Our first bill. We had never gotten a fucking bill from him before other than when we had to pay the deposit. I still have not gotten any warranty information or even a single picture of anything they did on our job. When you're doing roofs, take pictures, asshole. Don't make me get my ass up there myself. I mean, I will, but you really shouldn't make me be the person to take the after pictures to prove that what you did was what you were supposed to do. So anyway, when, when I made out the check, I put on the memo line, you're a turd. And he cashed it. So he just endorsed that he is a turd. I win, you turd. I also wrote a note on the invoice explaining in more detail what makes him such a turd. Usually when I do some petty shit like that, I feel embarrassed later. Nope, not this time. Also, I used facts and not like just a bunch of fuck you, you fucking fuckity fuck. Speaking of fuckity fuck, <laughs> here comes ADHD. I saw a post that I knew I had to quote here. It's a new word to describe my fucking life. Fucktangular. Like as in, my life is so fucked up on so many levels, from so many angles, in so many layers, it could only be described as fucktangular. So I thank you all ever so much for listening. Seriously, you have no idea what it does for me and for my mental health to not only be able to get my stories out and process things quite thoroughly, but to get validation and compassion from strangers in response. It's humbling and heartwarming, and I love you so much for it. So have a great and wonderful day. No matter how fucktangular your life is right now, be fabulously fucktangular. <laughs>